Hello and welcome to the Symbol Podcast, episode 8. My name is Dave Collingwood. I'm an independent cymbalsmith based in Bristol, UK. Today's guest is Pinson Chancel, a drummer based in Richmond, Virginia. Pinson is a member of the Space Bomb Group, which consists of a collection of musicians and industry professionals running a boutique music publishing service, recording studios and more. We discuss Pinson's role as a member of the Space Bomb house band, his thoughts on music past and present, what to do on a 14-hour drive, and of course, cymbals. Let's listen. Okay, so welcome to the Symbol Podcast. This is episode eight, and my guest now is Pinson Chancel, who joins me from, I believe, Richmond, Virginia. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. How's it going then, Pinson? It's going so well. It's great to be here. Cool. So where are you at the moment? Are you in like a home studio or are you in the Space Bomb HQ? Yeah, I'm at our headquarters. Uh, I'm at our central office. I guess it's the only one. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, uh, I'm in the front half. We have like a, a, a dual shared space with the uh, back half being a recording studio. Okay, nice. So the reason uh, Pinson and myself are kind of aware of each other, we have a mutual friend who is originally from Bristol, but has now moved over to Richmond and is the CEO of Space Bomb, uh, uh, Mr. Ben Baldwin. Um, is Ben there by any chance? Is he around? You no, know, Ben, he's, uh, he's in the Hamptons right now, which is oh, is the, <laughs> the most luxurious place you could end up being uh, <laughs> other than man. at work. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, so do you want to just say a little bit about Space Bomb? It's not, it's not just a, a studio, you know, is it, that, that you can just go and record? You guys are almost like a kind of collaborative of writers and musicians. Uh, is, that, is that kind of yeah. a, fair, a fair thing? And, and you can do like in-house music, like a house band almost for people that might want music or need musicians. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. And at the same time, the studio is available for hire. Sure. Um, at this very moment, there's a quartet, a French horn quartet that's in from different points in the Midwest, uh, and they're, okay. they'll be in there today and tomorrow. Um, but when it's not hired out, and we are a little bit, I mean, the calendar's wide open for sure, but we're, yeah. when in, we'll use it liberally for our own purposes. Sure. Um, so if I even just hatch a wild idea, like uh, one wild idea that came up recently was, I've been playing in like a Indonesian gamelan ensemble and I got really into the tinklik, which is like a bamboo instrument. And so one of those is kind of living in the studio for me to practice on. And maybe in the next month, I think Matthew and I will take our, our engineer Adrian in and we'll do sort of like a, a mixture of ambient and like rhythmic drone experimental okay. recording. But that's cool. like a, a good example of something that we'll we'll just hatch up an idea and then just put a date on the calendar and then it's really easy for us to do it because of the resource we have. Yeah. So so that that's quite cool that you've got the the space and have you have you just got like a bunch of instruments lying around? So what, tell me again what's that bamboo one that sounded quite interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. It's called a ting click. T I N G K L I K. Okay, what and is that? So it's like a I guess there are it's a it's a percussion instrument and it's made out of bamboo pretty large pieces of bamboo there are 10 keys maybe 11 two octaves of like a pentatonic scale okay and it's played in a in a traditionally it's played in a group there's two of the instruments and they play interlocking parts and they work with uh they play along with one bamboo flute sometimes two bamboo flutes right so i'll send you a link real quick in our 
in our uh, yeah just so you can kind of have a thing yeah cool so how did that instrument or those instruments end up in your studio they happened because uh i guess because the ethnomusicologist at university of richmond which is just not far from us here in in the studio he and i have developed like a friendship and i've started he has a gamelan a full javanese and balinese gamelan at u of r he specializes in indonesian music and uh I got too busy with my touring schedule to stay as like a full-time member, but I asked him if there was a way that I could be sort of an infrequent member. And he noticed that I was really playing the tinklick a lot on my own time. And he was like, well, why don't you just take one, keep it in the studio, and then when you learn enough, we can slide you into our programming whenever I'm in town and they have a oh, concert. Nice. We could, we could yeah. play it together. Ah, oh, cool. So uh, do you have like a lot of concerts coming through as well? Are, are there good venues and like collaborations going on? Sounds like there is. Yeah, there's a lot going on in Richmond for sure. Yeah. There's there's so much that's uh that's happening and I do have a lot of stuff that I try to stay busy with when I'm not traveling or when I'm not touring. Um yeah. I have like a there's a musician in town that organizes a music circus that's like done on John Cage's birthday every year. Okay. And he's asked me to put together a group. So this year it'll be like two saxophones and I'll play synthesizers and percussion. And a lot of times when I do that, I look at it as like, um, I look at it also as sort of an ambient outlet and I'll try to make really gentle, peaceful music and I read my favorite poems over top of it um, and just see where we kind of go. Yeah, yeah. It's great. among the things that I like to do when I'm, when I'm off, off the road. Yeah, sure. So, like you met, you mentioned Matthew. I, I assume you're talking Matthew E. White there. Yeah, that's right. So, are you? How do, are you in Matthew E. White's band? Because there's a lot of you involved in in Space Bomb, aren't there? Do you have like set bands, and you all kind of collaborate and come up with ideas? Because I know you were touring with Matthew. Yeah, yeah. So for a while, I guess for Matt's first record, there was a larger band of like six guys, six people, and. Then on his second record, we cut it down to me and Cameron and Alan Parker. And ever since then, I think it's kind of become clear that that, that trio as his backing band is really strong. And I do think we all sort of identify as his band. Um, we sort of call ourselves playfully like our own name. We call ourselves Big Cat. Okay. It's sort of a joke. <laughs> but uh, we've like used that name to book shows around Richmond when we want. And uh, there's a kind of an understanding that if he's going to take a tour i would likely be asked sure. but it's true that i could not be but matthew and i are close enough that you know i know there would be some sort of conversation um yeah yeah and i feel like there's like a there's certainly a deep sense of family there so that's great yeah. so there's there's people like natalie press and there's i was looking at your bio and, and there's so many bands are, are they all just kind of local bands generally that that you're involved with it's always through like the community that I have, I guess. No surprise, as, yeah. as we all like build our businesses. Sure. Um, so, Natalie, having having met her through Matt and having worked on her records, it was only maybe last year that I did even a little bit of touring with her, as her husband Eric was out with Doctor Dog, but okay. he generally plays fills the drum chair when she tours. I um, see. I love working with her so much. She is just a an incredible person to work with and to make music with. Cool. And similarly, Phil Cook, who I know through my early great white Jenkins days and my early rock and roll days in Richmond. 
sort of he and I've maintained a friendship and a musical relationship. Uh, so I fill in with him sometimes. And yeah, I think that is right. Like every, even though Phil lives in Durham, everything that I'm working on these days is currently because of like friends really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it goes, I suppose, isn't it? You make connections and yeah, things, things come about that way. Cause you, so when you actually played in Bristol, I, I remember we had a brief uh, email conversation I think because you were coming to Bristol and for yeah. whatever for whatever reason it didn't work out you know that we could meet uh was that with Natalie or Matthew or someone else even? I think that was Matthew that was probably yeah. the Thecla I imagine yeah the boat yeah how was the, yeah. how was the show uh, it was good man I remember it being like you know it sounds kind of wild in there yeah yeah definitely nice, but it's uh, pretty fun it's venue. a brutal load-in Totally. Oh yeah, like, it sure is. Steep yeah. stairs straight down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a bit of Bristol history, though. It's 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 a real cool venue. I played there many many times. Um, cool. But yeah, because we were kind of talking, you were obviously being a symbol maker. You were interested to to come and have a look and just to meet as well, obviously. Um, so yeah. so like, let's get on to gear, really, because that's sure. you know, that's kind of why I'm here. Um, so how like you are you're obviously a drummer. Would you say are you a drummer first and foremost? Is that your instrument? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and what do you play drum-wise? What, what's your chosen tubs? I work with uh, CNC as much as I can. Sure. I really love those instruments, but I'm not particularly... Um, they. What I love about the relationship with them is that it's relaxed, you know? There's no... Um, they never ask for it to be exclusive, and, and I okay. appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, so I also have, like, a set of old Astro drums, like Japanese, you know, pre-Pearl. Okay, yeah that I got for super cheap in the West end of Richmond. And I love those drums. I find myself going to them constantly. So what sort of sizes are they? It's a 22 inch kick and then 12, 13 and 14, the 14 being the floor Tom and the 12 and 13 being the uh, two racks. I liked getting back on a five piece. I hadn't had one in a long time. (laughs) Ah, so were you more on the four piece? Do you mean? Yeah. You know, like one, one up, one down sort of thing. Totally. Exactly. So, yeah, that's something I've kind of wondered because I I find it's really easy to get into, not necessarily a rut, but but just the same old thing. Like I've been playing a four piece for absolutely ages and I tend to play just hi-hat and two ride cymbals. Um, And I I find sometimes when I started drumming, I was listening to a lot of metal and, and indie and I suddenly thought maybe if I just put a load more toms around, I might sort of start not like I always enjoy playing, but I might start challenging myself a bit more, you know? yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So, so you know, let's go to symbols. What I, I've noticed you, you tend to have Istanbul's up. I do, yeah. And that was probably about, about when we were, we were in more contact more frequently. And when I was touring with Matt, I had a lot of Istanbul's. But lately, in the past year, maybe year and a half, it's shifted to... Um, I have an old pair of... I think they're like maybe 60s um, Zildjian A's for hi-hats. They're 15 inches and they're all, both of them are under 1,000 grams. They're in right. the 900 range. Okay. Um, and I've really become fond of those. And I found a Corope when I was teaching lessons at a Sam Ash, which is just a big box music store in the States. Yeah. And they had gotten some Coropes in. And I tapped them all, and then there was only one that stood out, and I went and taught on it for the day. And by the end of the day, I was just like, I need to take this home. <laughs> and those two are the ones that have sort of broken up my, um, 
thing. It was a good thing. It, it was really healthy for me to, I think I was maybe drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit in my um, admiration of, of Istanbul symbols, which sure. is not to say that they aren't incredible products because they, they're good. Yeah, they, yeah. They make great stuff. But I think because of that sort of myopic focus, I wasn't hearing the musicality of other things. Okay, and yeah. Now I'm open to absolutely anything. You know, like yeah. it could be could be anything at all, and if if it catches my ear, mm-hmm. and hopefully it does, you know, because if you frame something right, it probably sounds awesome. For sure, yeah. What I tend to find, uh, like this will sound strange, but I kind of don't actually own a set of symbols. You know, I, I don't have to buy them because <laughs> I can make them. Right. And I'll, often what yeah. I'll do is is I'll make some and maybe do a show or two. You know, if I'm if I'm playing something really loud and aggressive, I won't play something and then sell it. But but like I quite sure. like to sometimes road test what I make. Uh, yeah. So I often find when I don't do as many shows as I used to, but when I do, I'm using a set of symbols I've never used before because I'm seeing how they sound. And and there's something re- I find really nice about performing live, especially with that kind of unknown quantity. You know, I won't go in totally blind, but it just kind of right. just for me more than anything else keeps things alive. You know? I love that you would know that because one of the things that I feel like is troublesome when you're buying gear is is you want to know how does the symbol react on a really loud stage and how does it react yeah. on a quiet stage and something I notice with darker symbols these days is you watch someone like kind of bashing but from the front of house or from the you know from like the audience perspective you don't really feel or hear the symbol much. For sure. I know exactly I think what you it, mean. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something happening with like modern symbol taste where they sound incredible when it's just you in a room. Yeah. But then when you're in the heat of battle, it's like it doesn't either carry the band quite the same way or it doesn't come across the same. And yeah. it's really cool that it, people could come to you and say, you know, I love this, what you're making. And maybe they've picked out of a set of things and you can tell them, oh, this is how these respond. Cause you know, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I just think it's really important to, to try them out and, and know how that works. Cause like, you know, video, making a video demo of a symbol, like a lot of the big shops, you know, like, um, my symbol.com and these sort of places, they, they yeah. each get a demo and f- you know, fair, fair play to them. They're all kind of nicely recorded and they're done on a kit, which I think is very, very good idea um but yeah i i take your point about sort of darker modern symbols and i've talked in previous episodes about uh like fashion for symbols which i think is definitely a thing um so so talking about istanbul's what sort of istanbul's were you going for or you know if there was a particular type yeah yeah i think there was um Depending on the artist, uh, I really like the signature line. I think I have a pair of those hats that I still use. Um, I had one of their rides, but again, I never found myself using it much. It was beautiful to practice on, but never practical in application. Um, I do use their Mel Lewis's uh, still to this day. I have a newer one that I like quite a lot. It's a 22, and it's nice and pretty and uh, a little bit bright and high. Yeah. And I have a 21 from uh, right after, I think right after the split. Um, okay. It's from 2000, maybe 2001. It's heavier than the newer Mel's. It's a little thicker and it just has a really cool sound to it. It doesn't sound quite like the trend that started to pick up with them being a little thinner and a little like more yeah. um, trashier and a little more wispy. 
Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the the word trashy. I hear so many times, you know, tra- trashy and, and washy as well. And I I think you know, as the sound has kind of almost become lost in the fashion, like you're saying, like the words yeah. have a the words have a little bit as well, because like it sounds like the symbol you're describing probably carries quite nicely. You know, you can ride it, and there's a bit of complexity in there for for kind of dynamics. Is is that right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. But. And like, so you could still say like a nice pingy ride can be trashy, you know, but things are so trashy now. Like you see all these, uh, and (laughs) it's fine, you know, uh, you know, whatever works for whoever's playing it is great. But so many of them are just unlathed, raw, dry, you know, they go pash and they kind of disappear really quickly. Like, do do you kind of get swept up with it though, with like cymbal fashion? It sounds more like you're just guided by your ear. Yeah, I think um I think I've gotten out of it a little bit. You know, there was there was a period of time where I would I would know which Instagram artists had access to products and I would be aware of maybe if they posted like, "Oh, cool, that's a new I re- okay, here's the example. I remember when the Agop Signature Chinas came out and I think Carter McLean had put up a video. And like it was the first time I had seen a video of a china that had a wobble to it. Right. Okay. And I was like, "Whoa, that's incredible!" Because it was. It was like, "Oh, that's a that's an achievement. That's awesome." Yeah. And it sounded sick. Uh, but shortly after, I was like, "I don't need that. <laughs> I can't use that." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like about when the uh, disenchantment sort of happened. <laughs> yeah, it's all like like are you aware of Hammerax? Did you see those coming through a few I, years ago? I didn't. No. So so like I I think they're kind of still going. And sorry if anyone from Hammerax is listening. <laughs> maybe even maybe even like 10, 10 years ago or something. Uh, they did quite sort of odd looking, great big, w- like real wobbly, like you could almost fold them in half, kind of wobbly symbols. But but they just had this massive kind of b- just big kind of not gongy but very complex big sound. But they still rode quite nicely, and they they experiment okay. with little you know kind of shapes or little bumps in the body and stuff. And funnily enough. For all the fashion that comes through, all the holes in symbols, and which I talk about and bitch about a lot, and stuff like that, <laughs> there's something these guys are still, I think, quite sort of revered because they just kind of did something and it sounded good, you know. Maybe some of it was at... a little gimmicky, or I don't know. But, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, you say you're you're looking it up. Yeah, I was just checking the images now, and yeah, they they're adventurous, but yeah. they're also compelling. They look beautiful. I'd love yeah. to hear it, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of videos, you know, uh, some of the nice, like a big 24-inch ride or something. I'm not quite sure how they make them, but it seems to me like there's just hammering or whether it's pressed in a sort of shaped die or something, but right to the edge. So you get a real strip, the metal just stretches and the whole thing just wobbles and makes a, a heck of a noise. It's, it's great. Like, I think it's That's a good cool. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm certainly like open and inspired by anything. So it's not that anything, I'm not like, off of any particular brand for sure it's more like i think i had i had like i mentioned i was a little bit like tunnel vision for a certain thing and now yeah you know try to stay open if i can yeah for sure um like do you know i think i was thinking about this earlier with like instagram and the advent of all that sort of thing there's more kind of insight into the way things are made like i'm just i guess i'm just asking you out of interest as a symbol maker like how does the kind of process come across these days because it's very different now that right. you know what i mean now that people can kind of say hey here's me hammering a symbol and this is the way i do it and stuff 
How does that sort of come across from the other side? I think it's... Um, I think I just feel a slightly more aware, but I, but I don't, I don't think it, um, it hasn't yet. Like I'm not keen to just try it myself yet, (laughs) but it definitely, it's like, it doesn't make it seem less important or less interesting. If anything, like I remember I would get catalogs in high school Mm. and Zildjian might have like a picture of like a, person swinging a hammer or, or oh, like yeah. some sparks flying over underneath like the the a custom line or something like that yeah yeah and uh i would always remember like gosh i wish i could watch a documentary mm. or like a how it's made of that so if anything i really just uh, i just love it it's it feels yeah. it feels really like a good angle and a nice thing that we yeah can see a little more into the maker side and yeah, the that's craft of it for point. sure. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's this is the the modern equivalent because uh, you saying that just threw me right back, remembering having a catalog from Pearl, I think, and like as a 14, 15 year old, I just loved the look of the things, just looking at them, and I'd think, oh, I'll have a kit that big, and it they just look, you know, the drums look great and the cymbals look great, and you, yeah, there's just something visually appealing about about the whole thing, especially because you know you can make a, a racket on them as well. For sure. It's, I, I have such good memories of just looking through gear and like mm. knowing that I didn't necessarily, like, of course I wanted to like play a big kit or, or maybe try and put one together myself, but more just excited about the feeling of like, oh, I love drums. Here are drums. Yeah. Let's right. look at drums. Yeah. You know? like pretty basic. Just like a comfort. Yeah. Pretty yeah, simple thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so when did you start playing? What's your, what's your background with drumming and music? Oh, um, I had like a, a fifth grade band program was when I first started and it was because my friends were playing drums. So it was a way to just sort of spend time with them. Okay. Um, it was my mom who suggested it. And initially I remember they, they were like, do you want to join the band? I think they just ask you when you're entering into fifth grade. And I was like, yeah, I'll play the saxophone. And my mom went and looked at the prices and we're like, no. You can play the drums. Your friend already <laughs> plays the drums. <laughs> yeah, cool. Which is, well, lucky because most kids would be like, you know, your mom telling you you get to play the loudest instrument around is, for a woman who worked night shift, that's pretty loving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it seems really backwards. Like, so a kid goes to the parents, so I want to play the drums and you see the face drop. Just, oh my God, here we go. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's I cool. Out. Yeah, so what were you listening to? What what sort of thing were you, were you like playing along and taking notes from stuff you're listening to? So I guess for the first bit, like your first maybe three years, it was just like a snare drum and rudimental stuff and nothing. Okay. It didn't really click, I would say. I wasn't even really, there wasn't too much that was saying, maybe I could be good at this and I should keep sure. going. I, I was just lucky enough to sort of kind of blindly just keep doing it and kind of go along for years. Yeah. And like in eighth grade, I got a kind of half of a drum set. It had a hi-hat with only a hi-hat top okay. and like a kick and a snare. So like playing beats, it just sounded wild. And I didn't know what it was supposed to sound like. Ah, right, just like yeah. washing away on one cymbal. Nice. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I was totally susceptible to just I didn't have a strong sense of personal identity. It was whatever was around the radio. I remember listening to really bad pop music, Collective Soul, Hooting the Blowfish. Yeah. (laughs) Just, you know, 
down the middle, man. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, yeah, it kind of reminds me the first drum I ever had was a snare drum that had a little arm coming off the snare stand with a tiny splash on it. Uh, and yeah, I oh, just cool. I just kind of sit along and play along to like Sonic Youth just doing something, you know, and hitting the cymbal sometimes. And that was fine. That was enough for me. I was just really enjoying it. That sounds sick. That sounds like a nice way to spend your early early drum learning, you know? Yeah, yeah, completely. And then, like, got my first kit really, really cheap. And it was a horrendous mix of whatever and, like, cracked cymbals. But again, comes yeah. back, I could just kind of stand and look in them and go, these are drums and I like them, you know, and it just felt great. Yeah, yeah, it gives you that feeling, and you get excited, and you you want to play them. Yeah. So, so like you, we were talk. Well, I mean, we were like emailing before, and you mentioned about like motivation is something that you're quite sort of interested in, like in music and life. So, yeah. If I come to like music first, like what would you like music motivation? What do you actually mean by that for a start? I guess. Uh, I guess I'm always trying to find something that lights me up. I think like we all are when we listen to music, when we make playlists or when we save songs that, that come across our desk that, that are exciting. Um, anything that like gets me, that catches my attention, you know, Right. hopefully so much that I, I stop everything I'm doing and just listen and just take in the thing that I'm experiencing. So it could, currently I have been, it has been a lot of music, but it could be, a lot of times for me, it's also like poetry or art or, I mean, it could be anything, but specifically music, if I'm yeah. sticking to that. Um, I try to like make sure that I'm cycling through things as much as I can be. Um, okay. Which is just to say that I'm like trying to be healthy about a diverse listening and a, and a habitual listening too. Okay, sure. So what's kind of, what's on your radar at the moment? Is anything really exciting you musically? Yeah, um... The newest Kate LeBon record is just unbelievable. I haven't heard it. Funnily enough, I, I played on a record. Uh, I did a session and my drums were on a track she sang on, but we never met. Oh, anything. that's awesome. So, yeah. That's radical. Funny little coincidence. What, uh, what track was that? Uh, so it was Neil Davidge from Massive Attack. It was his solo record called Slow Light. Cool. Uh, okay. she, I think she sang on the first track, I think. Something like that. Uh yeah, but like I say, we never met, and uh, it, it, the the whole record was just was like a collection of you know Neil's music with a lot of guest vocalists, and I played drums on I don't know five or six tracks, I think. That's cool, man. Yeah. So so yeah, the new Kate Le Bon. Okay, I'll check that out. And um, just for people listening, I've said this before. Like uh, I am making a there's a Spotify playlist for all the people I talk to and all the songs and bands we talk about. I'll just keep uploading stuff. So so like yeah. anything that Pinson and myself are talking about today, go and check out Spotify and search for the Symbol Podcast, um, and you'll find a playlist of everything from this and previous episodes. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll have a listen and, and chuck some of that on as well. Sounds cool. Yeah. I'd say her and uh, Lonnie Holly, just to throw another one out there. Who, sorry? Lonnie Holly. That's not a name I know, I must say. He was a, he is, um, sort of works in different, mul in different mediums. He, or mediums, I suppose. He is, uh, was a sculptor for a while. Okay. And has, was pretty celebrated as a sculptor in um, the American, like, modern art community. He's got some works in the Library of Congress. Mm. And the Smithsonian, and then he started to make music in like 2014 ish, and his records are really cool. Um, they're they sort of like 
atmospheric, slightly cosmic, very like wandering and searching. But he'll talk about a lot of heavy stuff in his music that I think is right. um, kind of important. And, and he does it in a way that it feels like it's allows someone from any background to sort of take in what he wants to speak about. It's not, it's pretty accessible. And I feel like he hits a, a delicate target really well. Cool. Sounds good. So do you, do you play, uh, like you're saying about uh, him being a sculptor, do you do other, do you do, are you like an artist in other senses, would you say? Not yet. I mean, it's something that's in the back of my mind of like wanting to make things like visual art and work with my hands. Yeah. And I, I fiddle around at home. I've done some like, um, like embroidery, like free embroidery stitching okay. for like as Christmas gifts for my family sometimes. Cool. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it's anything. I'd, I'd never sell it, but I would make it to for, for fun, you know. Yeah, for the love of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's cool. So what's coming up? Are you doing any more touring? You got anything else? coming up the to, coming back to years, bristol <laughs> yeah i would love to come back to bristol the rest of the year is actually empty and sadly that that uh south bank date that i had on the calendar came off maybe like two weeks ago i just learned that that they uh they're pulling the plug on that so i i won't oh. be making it to england this year oh, that's <laughs> as i'd hoped i was man which is a drag yeah. but um i just did finish a couple of runs with the fruit bats that i really loved working with eric was special and really incredible yeah and um, you know, I, I think some things will fill in over the over the coming year as we go forward. Sure. I do have some dates with the Space Bomb House Band, um, just in the studio, and then other live projects we're trying to put together here yeah. in Richmond. Cool. So going back to to Space Bomb, I'm I'm interested. Could it literally be that someone has some music or some ideas, and they can, I guess, like tell me if this is wrong. Just you know, employ you or employ the band to either yeah, write that's true. Or, they can you know be se- like session players. Is that is that the case? Yep, definitely. We're open for any of that in, yeah. in all kinds of plug and play options. So I was work. I was kind of wondering if people ever come to you with with just very vague ideas you know and just say hey I, i've got an idea and i need a band and you get in the room together and then you know someone just give you some mad idea like play something that sounds like a tuesday you know what i mean like, <laughs> kind of interpreting things yeah we haven't had something as extreme as that it's come a little close but um but in in good ways like uh, and, and that would actually be really fun too of course right yeah uh yeah. we've had like uh some people come with songs that maybe aren't quite fully fleshed in then we'll just say hey just take these one step further before you get here and yeah yeah you know that was just that was the producer at the time who who made that decision but we could have done it in the room together for sure, sure. yeah coming back to to the just briefly and we'll then we'll move on to the idea of of being like a house band and you don't have to answer this question like do you, how do you feel? Do people approach you with music that you just don't feel, and but you do it? Like, that, you done yeah, that, that's a know? great question. Um, it's. I think I have had occasionally some some sessions that are that I I'm I don't connect with initially, you know. Sure. But I think the most one of the more elegant or one of the things I love the most about the house band setup is that I care so much about the people I work with and I just care. I think like most artists and most, most musicians or people who create, even when you're not like in love with the material that's presented to you, I'm in love with the craft of it. Sure. 
I'm like madly, you know, I'm just over the, over the moon about playing the drums and executing them well, regardless of what the framework is. So it's sure. usually pretty easy for me to to stay motivated and to stay excited about the task at hand. Yeah, that's cool. Now, that, without romanticizing it, of course there are hard days in the studio and there are hard moments. Yeah. And I've definitely been down those, those places and it gets dark sometimes and like finding a way to... I've, I've found my own methods for navigating that, you know? Yeah. Um, so that stuff does get difficult, but I guess the, the more I try to get in touch with my, my own sense of it, empathy and like how much i care about just human life and existence mm. it's pretty easy to be like this is this person's song right so exactly let me give that what i can I with th- my with my energy to their energy you know? right yeah yeah for sure i mean uh, do you think that's like a maturity you know just getting older and getting experienced a hundred percent because because i remember yeah. doing I do, i've done plenty of ses- sessions in my time and, and like a few of them I really you know they paid the bills and when 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 you're younger you're a bit I don't not everyone but me I went through a phase of hey it's got to mean everything or it means nothing you know that that kind of almost posturing but that's just where sure. I, where I was at the time and I think you're right you know it's, it's someone's song and and if you're providing a service and you're doing it passionately in the sense that you enjoy your input then why not really yeah, I think it only comes down to like, and I've, I've never had the situation yet, but if someone was such like a difficult person or such an uh, unfortunate person to be around or right. to be, you know, really terrible to my friends or myself, then maybe I might draw the line and that would make it difficult to yeah. like create their music or to work with them. But because I'm in the room with my friends that I care so much about and I love the company that we're working for and we're the, the overarching goal is a, a bigger picture of creating something that hopefully is a little bit, you know, offers a little bit of a, a good thing in the world, then mm. that's like my, my, um, that's like what I try to keep in the, in the middle or back of my mind while I'm working on someone's stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that may be uh, coming back to the idea of motivation. So like we've talked about music motivation, this is kind of your life, yeah. your life motivation feeding in, I'm guessing. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I had a conversation recently just like to tie that in with, with this, um, I was working at a, a pizza shop just between tours and uh, I, I used to talk with the owner so much because we both are musicians in the Richmond area and we were fascinated with like the sound of 60s wrecking crew like I guess all of us are Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we would get into conversations about it and he brought up a point where he was he was like because I think I talked about how much work those people were doing um consistently back to back you know they would just like turn out a jingle and then do a soundtrack and then cut like a record for a artist and it was Mm. just constant Mm. and uh his point was that like a certain sense of levity was in the music itself because there was not there wasn't enough time to take it too seriously or part of their attitudes and that that really opened up my mind of like oh man like i can be in a session it can be difficult but if it's it it should never be dire and i really feel like that just that awareness lightened my playing like right you know and you've carried you've better. carried that forward so that was like an important moment by the sounds of things yeah i mean that's a big one for me like every time i'm in this every time i sit down to play the instrument it's it helps cuz it's like i just want to play this thing now yeah for 
just to play, like the real sense of the word, yeah. to you know, be playful and explore. So, like, I'm just going off on a bit of a tangent, but just a bit of an exploration. But do you find, are you like yeah. that when, let's say music isn't involved, there's no instruments. Are you like that with people? You know, you know what I mean? Just like a group of friends or a group of strangers even? Yeah, do you like see what open I'm to, to an experience and like trying to just have the, have the, the moment uh, flower as it does in front of us yeah that- yeah i guess so yeah just a similar because like you're saying about life motivation so i'm yeah just interested in how these things kind of tie in and also how they maybe don't tie in because yeah yeah you know what i mean i i would say I, like I i'm kind of more comfortable behind the drums than i am talking to people if i'm if i'm honest you know i grew up very very shy and okay. and so like drums for me was a kind of oh i've kind of found a voice you know i mean like i'm 40 years old now and i've got kids and like i've kind of got over myself that's fine but that was kind of my motivation from life at the time was to right. try and make a noise uh in a <laughs> in a different way Where, you know yeah. i'm not going to go into the psychology of that now but do you know what <laughs> do you know what i'm getting at i'm just kind of interested in the people behind the the, the creativity i suppose I think so. I, th- I know what you're getting at. I, I think, uh, or I think I do. And um, yeah, I can relate to that. Like for a while, my identity as a person was so tied to what I did on the drum set. Not, not just the fact that I played drums, but like how good I was or what I was working on or the, uh, the success I was having on the instrument. And that all really changed a few years ago. And I think from there, uh, a sort of evolution uh, of that was realizing that like in that sense of levity, like nothing is that important. So mm. I can be whoever I want to be and however I want to be in the world. Mm. And then just, you know, finding a definition of what that was for me, mm. it definitely does apply to my interactions with people. Like I want to, be as present as I can be right. in in any moment, whatever it is that I'm doing. And if someone stops me on the street or strangers, you know, happen to show up or if I'm in like a, a grocery line, I tend to stay pretty quiet, but yeah. I do I do push myself to uh, have unexpected conversations with strangers. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's cool. I, I relate to that, I, I think. I I, you know, I often find myself just talking to anyone and everyone, really, it's a, which is which is odd considering what I said before. You know, I see myself as quite a bit of a reserved person, but I, I kind of like nothing more than sometimes just some random person just starting talking and, you know, to go, hey, what do you think about life? And suddenly you're off yeah. into this brand new thing that maybe you'd never even considered, you know, a sort of person you've never even met before. Yeah, I agree. That's like, that's the thing. And that's... It's similar to music when we're we're exploring and we find ourselves like, oh, wow, what is this world over here that I have never been in? Or yeah, and then I think it's a similar thing if we if we can stay open to it. Hopefully, it can happen more often. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was wondering as well about the idea of actually jamming to to write music. Is do you like going back to what you were saying about these these uh, crazy cool instruments that you've got in the in the studio there, like it sounds to me there's an element of not improvisation, but maybe jamming and finding some common ground or, or something that works. Yeah. 
But that, uh, that I think sometimes can become horrible, you know, and unless you're in a room with <laughs> people you really, really trust or, or you know, it, I've been in many situations where you let's jam and write some, some songs. And then 20 minutes later, you all just got these ashen faces, just, <laughs> you know, and no one, no one's yeah. piping up. No one's going, come on, let's, this is awful. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. But you're, I, uh, still, you're we, kind of chasing we something do that as well. For sure. Yeah. 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 We are chasing something and we jam, uh, as a house band for sure um this is a good time to mention that we have a series called the uh um live well i guess we call it we initially called it library music but now it's just um anything that's released uh under the space bomb house band artist name um we do a series of records and now they're released by number so it might say uh oh. like the most recent one, one was space bomb house band five uh six will come out later this year but that's yeah the way that we make that music is oftentimes just get in the room and someone will come in with an idea and then we'll just jam on it. Right. And then I'll take the, whoever's leading on the particular song. We tend to do four or five tracks each per, um, per record. Then I'll take the 10 minute jam and I'll find like a good two measures within the bass and drums. And then I'll take the guitar part and maybe I'll heavily edit it to be not what the person originally played, but and then I'll just build the music from there. And that's, we're not at the place where we would just jam and then release the jam as it was. Yeah. Um, I think as you said, like only certain special times does that appeal to me, even to listen to. That's not oh, yeah. music I, you find myself going to, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that is a, a, a way that we will create. That's one of the processes for sure. And having weird instruments around is fun for that. Yeah. So like that's, that's getting into like in the box, you know, studio trickery and editing and stuff kind of sounds like not not exactly the same but almost a bit like electronic music you know composition in that sense it definitely is for sure i mean i i feel like in one sense modern pop music is like a marriage of of those things right right how it's does like a, a electronic so, editing art in itself <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of very high production values going on and I think it's easy to get quite snobby about them as well, but you know everything yeah. has its place. I, I, I'd say. Yeah, I agree. I mean, is electronic music on your on your turntable as well? Yeah. Um, currently, it's like been hev heavily in the ambient side of things, right. which can or can't be electronic. But yeah. um, there was a playlist. So I guess last year, at about this time, it's uh, July of last year. Uh, Cameron and I were in a van with Dean and Matthew White, and we were driving up to Rhode Island from Richmond, which is about a 14-hour drive. Wow. And the the destination was the Newport Folk Fest, where Cameron and I were going to be the rhythm section members in a band led by Eric Johnson of the Fruit Bats, and Matthew was going to guest on a song. Eric was doing a set of all Graham Parsons-inspired country music, and um or like psychedelic country music and during the ride matt had found this incredible playlist um called see notes from a diasporic mixtape and it was compiled by the wire oh yeah and that mixtape blew our minds it was the best 14-hour car ride i've ever had <laughs> I, for I forget you have such long car car rides over in the states like, you can't <laughs> yeah. drive you can drive around in circles for 14 hours in the uk but 
or, or just <laughs> right, yeah. or sit in traffic. Anyway, sorry, yeah, carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you could go top to bottom to top, I suppose. You could go <laughs> end to end twice. <laughs> yeah, if you fancied, yeah. Um, sorry, yeah. I, I interrupted you there. To, to no, it's on. all right. Yeah. And that's that was just the... Uh, there was a lot of... There was some house music on there that we had never really gotten into. And it was a kind of a turning point for all of us. We were all like, oh, this is house music. If we had like... We had a reference point and we had a frame and we had a, a trusted source to take us into that world. Right, right, and it right. Was, um, yeah. It was beautiful, man. And I, I haven't gone on much of a deep dive since then, but now to this day, like if I hear EDM or like heavily influenced house music, it's, it has a totally different um, reference for me and, and I like it. I don't, ah, interesting, yeah. I don't, I don't find myself like with that knee-jerk resistance to it, you know? I like yeah. to try to actually just pay attention to it because it's it can be really artful the way that the variations are created in that music. And, and like in any music, no surprise. But yes, yeah. it's always good to have your uh, gut checked on those things. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I was in a band with a guy who, you, you know, we were just doing kind of guitar and drums and a bit of electronic music. He was deeply into old, like, Detroit house music and all sorts, which yeah. kind of like you say... I hadn't necessarily turned my nose up at, but I just thought that's not me. It's not my sort of thing. And he did me some, like a CD or, or a playlist and like, okay. and I suddenly went, Oh yeah, I, I get some of this. Like I've been missing all this stuff just because I saw the genre and thought, nah, not for me, you know? Yeah. And that's another example of like, how, what else am I missing out on right now? Like well, what, yeah. what can I take in? <laughs> yeah. So did, did any names stand out in particular from that mixtape? Uh, Mr. Fingers, for sure, okay. was awesome. I loved that track. I'll pull it up. Um, that was fantastic. And then, um, let's see if I can, I could link to that tape. I mean, that obviously that playlist is like 16 hours long. It almost, it lasted uh, <laughs> as long as our car ride or longer. Yeah. Um, but definitely Mr. Fingers stands out, yeah. Yeah, just briefly talking electronic music on, on plenty of the, the previous episodes. I i've done of this podcast the name apex twin always pops up yeah like any thoughts oh yeah <laughs> uh, i have not i have not enough reference to really speak on their music i think they were on that mixtape and i remember a person i knew in high school who worked at a office supply store with me uh they really loved um apex twin and and we would listen to it sometimes in uh when when hanging out but i it never like rang with me. I don't. I don't know of their music a ton. Yeah. So so you know, it's it's just one guy who who just does all this crazy programming, and it took me a little while as well. But uh, again, people listening who've heard the previous episodes, sorry, you've heard this all before. But but um, like as a musically as, as a composer, I think he's almost like second to none. It's it, once you get through. You know, again, it's a case of like making a, a prejudgment. Uh, it's a bit prejudice, I, I guess, by definition. But you kind of hear, oh, he does drum and bass or drill and bass or cr just crazy mashed up music, and go, okay, not for me. But once you sure. once you just crack the surface and really either listen or just soak it up, maybe listen again, and things start coming through, and it starts becoming about songs and movement and composition and detail, and it's it's just beautiful. 
even if it's crazy and and you know just mad beats happening all around you like i just yeah. love it to pieces i i you're, you've jogged a memory that i had a college roommate uh as well uh that loved um drum and bass and loved apex twin and i i do remember enjoying um some of the tracks and i could tell that it, it sort of stuck out above the other mm. stuff of the time sure <laughs> in the in the heyday of when i might have been aware of like acid jazz and things right right um yeah so like i said this is this has gone very smoothly uh so let's just come back to symbols again because uh you seem to have sure it's quite cool like you seem to have a fair bit to say about symbols there i was kind of wondering there's this thing about the quest for the holy grail of symbols which i'm sure you're aware of that that people just like buy a ride symbol and and i think it kind of goes in with maybe a bit of fetish fetishization of of like uh old you know old zildjian k's from the 50s and that sort of stuff right but yeah. ha- have you ever been like a hundred percent happy with a symbol or or is it more a case that you've learned how to use what you have in front of you if does that make sense yeah it does i think it's it's the the latter i think yeah. it's um i'm not I'm not sure that I could ever find a perfect symbol. I think that, you know, because there's just so much to say musically. Kind of like, why is it that we can, with our limited, like, 12 tones, feels still feels like there's endless melodies and endless chord progressions. It's funny, isn't it? Actually, you've, you've jogged my memory now of, and again, talking about drum and bass, if, this was when I was in my teens, a friend of a friend was just into drum and bass above all else and it was kind of a lifestyle thing as well you know sure. and and i remember yeah. him saying once oh drum and bass is so good one day they're gonna run out of tunes and everything will be drum and bass <laughs> <laughs> even at the time i remember thinking you haven't really thought that through have you like but but i, right, I take right. your point like I, I look at maybe a guitar or a piano and this is a very simplistic thing to say but take a piano, look at it. Every single thing that's ever been played on the piano in a technical, physical sense is there in front, yeah. of, in front of you. Okay, you know, the person playing it is what makes it. But yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, yeah, just how much can be done and expressed. People, you know, we haven't run out of songs yet and it's not all drum and bass and good. Yeah, I think that like there isn't an, an ideal symbol. I think there's just beautiful symbols and... Sure, there's maybe like um, there's maybe like more beautiful symbols than others in their in their making or the, the artistry that they were made with or the particular like alignment of certain things that makes one symbol stand out above others, and that's that's beautiful in itself. Sure, but um, but you're right. I have the symbols I have, and hopefully I can use them as well as I possibly can yeah. in the moment. Yeah. And I might choose, you know, one over the other and hopefully that's an, an inspired choice. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely feel like it's, I think another lesson that, that I remember is I went to Joe's pub in New York to play with like an avant-garde big band. It was the first, it was the second band Matthew and I were in and, um, I went inside and tapped on the house drums and was like, yeah, definitely not using those things because they sounded crazy. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I brought in my own drums and we were playing before we were first of three. It was our weirdo nine piece avant-garde big band. Uh, I think the second band was uh, clap your hands, say yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And then the third band was Sex Mob. Okay. Which is, uh, I don't, are you familiar with that, that group? I don't, uh, the name kind of rings a bell. I, I don't think so, though. They're like a downtown New York free jazz ensemble. Okay. It was a strange bill, but the, the members were Brigham Krauss, Tony Scher, Stephen Bernstein, who's the leader, and Kenny Wollison on the drum set. And I remember never seeing Kenny Wollison. He was like a hero of mine. And all of us in the band like were freaks for... We were just nuts about every, every one of those musicians. So we were really eager to watch this band. And he rolls in like five minutes before they have to play and just puts his cymbals on the stands on the house drum set and then starts playing and it sounds like a totally different drum set. Uh, yeah. And it was like a massive learning experience just right. you know all my uh, concepts that i had like firmly said this is how things go just dissolved yeah <laughs> well good i mean i that's a very kind of formative thing for you i suppose that's, yeah definitely yeah, and i yeah. feel like that's like that's it you know like uh pick a symbol yeah and then yeah play it yeah for sure yeah i mean i love symbols and i i I prefer to make symbols that are not unusual, but, but unique, you know, maybe you need to get to know them a little bit, you know, like maybe there's yeah. a little pocket of tone here and there and you just need to learn the dynamic, you know, and how it sits with you. And if it, if it doesn't, it doesn't great, whatever. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess the perfect symbol would be almost one that shape shifts and, and kind of, you know, knows you and and one minute it's pingy and the next it's not but then you know it's, yeah. it's a piece of metal there in front of you isn't it yeah if it was a bit of magic but yeah. then what's the extension of that and in, in how we approach things like mm. how much can i take the thing in front of me and make it a little more pingy or mm. make it a little less mm, mm, for sure yeah it's kind of i do see it as kind of a two-way thing i try not to be too pretentious about it but i i just i love instruments you 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 know you it's it is an extension of you and who's who's ever 100 percent sure of themselves you know in, <laughs> yeah, totally. in what they do totally yeah and that's a real thing like there it is true that like some things will resonate with us as individuals more than others and and i will admit like i know we i've talked about all of this like trying to stay as open as i can like i i do enjoy a a, a crummy b8 <laughs> Sabian B8 but it is not something I've ever actually recorded on yeah. you know like that I will admit that that doesn't resonate with me that I, I still have like a a metric for what I what I want to use yeah, you know yeah have you got your eyes on anything else then symbol wise you looking oh man you know what I don't have and I've been wanting is uh I don't have something that's like just obliterated with rivets ah, okay <laughs> something that's just a total f like fuzz factory you know <laughs> i don't have i don't have that and i probably could make it but yeah um i would be totally that's like the biggest gap in my in my lineup sometimes i, I wish i had something like that sure. that was reminiscent of like a, a 50s blue note record yeah not any one individual but just you know yeah, yeah. that would give you the feeling of that yeah um that or like you know sometimes in those um Ethiopiques, uh, like band band records that you hear, like uh, either like um, what's that guy's name, Alamehu Eshete. Okay. His drummer has like a a really nice sizzle uh, symbol that I, I think sounds pretty special. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's been a real cool chat. Uh, we've we've been going for an hour now, for, believe it or not. So. I think that's oh, wow. I, like, it really goes by. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a good point. To, I feel like we could go on and on. So may, maybe we'll have to, to do uh, part two at some point. But I think for now, that's that's pretty good. So so like I said earlier, um, there's the Spotify playlist. I'll, I'll kind of 
collate everything that we've been talking about and put some interesting tracks up. And also, for anyone listening, uh, things that Pinson's involved with, I'll put some some links up. And in the show notes as well, I'll put some links and a, a bio. Go and check it out. Check out the Space Bomb thing. The bands always seem to be touring around. Uh, you're in Europe fairly often with, with a few different bands, I guess. And Yeah, depending on the year. Some some years more than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, just check it out. For now, though, I think <laughs> there is more I want to say, but let's leave it there for now. And just, yeah, thank you so much for joining me. It's been really interesting. Dude, this has been such a treat. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. And I really appreciate um, uh, talking about music and speaking with you. It's been really fun. <laughs>